0: With my affinity for names, you're going to have to use context to determine whether I'm talking about Mary or Martha, because I flip the two constantly, can never remember who's who, and uh, it's unfortunate uh, that you have a pastor that's so lame when it comes to names. Uh, So hopefully I'll I'll get it down for you. So I'm going to be in Luke chapter 10 and verse 38. I was going to use this as the introduction for uh, discussion on the Lord's Prayer. Which uh, is in chapter eleven. It's only a few verses, but when I got to page four on notes, I thought, well, with a picnic afterwards, it'd probably be good if we just stopped there. So I don't know how long this is going to take, and I don't know, uh, I don't know how it's going to go over, but we'll see what happens. Now it came to pass as they went that he entered into a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha received him into her house. It's odd that uh, that Luke chose. To be so inspecific, we know we knew where it went. We went to Bethany and I think the next, I was going to put that up for you. I think the map shows you. They were up in the northern district. Up, oh, that's a pencil, that's not the pointy thing. Where'd the pointy thing go? Did I put it in my pocket? Well, this is not good. I was going to do a pointy thing. There it is, hiding underneath Lindisfalm. Oh, so well, they were up there in Capernaum, that's where he'd been hanging out in the Galilee region and they'd been doing a lot of their work up there. Uh, I don't know if that's loud enough for Zoom to hear, though. And then they walk if they're, did it die? No, it didn't die. If they're, if they're being respectful of human, Jewish custom, they'd walk all the way down and around through here and then they'd cut back the cross so they didn't have to go through Samaria. And Jesus was fond of cutting through the shortcut uh, and of course that's where he met the woman at the well at Sychar. And they went all the way down here to Bethany. Now Bethany, this map, I wonder about it because Bethany is only 1.75 miles from Jerusalem. And the, the purpose of staying in Bethany is they could stay out of town. They could stay with friends. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus lived there. And it was close enough for a walk on a Sabbath day. So it was close. To, it was short enough for a Sabbath journey so they could walk into town. So anytime there's an event, and there's twice a year, there's two week-long celebrations in the Jewish year where they had festivals, and they, had, they were required, the men were required to attend. We're not told how many people were there that day, but we know that this home is in Bethany, mm-hmm. the home of Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. Oh. Just like Jesus would often stay at Peter's house, I guess I could say Peter and his wife's. I don't know if I've ever heard Peter's wife's name, but Peter and his wife's house. Uh, when they were in the Galilee area, they would frequently stay with Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. Uh, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Uh, when they were in the Bethany area or in the Jerusalem area, you know. Now, the fact that Luke says Martha received him, we don't know why that is, unless she was the elder, and perhaps Lazarus was already ill. We don't know. You would think it would have said Lazarus received them. Maybe Martha owned the home. We don't. We don't know any of this. Uh, but there's no mention of Lazarus in this telling of the story, and perhaps even now he was already ill. It seems that Martha was one who committed to feeding the crew. Now, we don't know how many people showed up. We just know Jesus was there. Uh, so we don't know if, but we have to imagine the other 12 showed up. So when, 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 when Martha goes, uh, hey, uh, come on to my house and we'll put you up and we'll feed you, that's quite a commitment. Uh, it's quite a commitment. Now, you know, if, Thirteen men showed up at your house, relatively unannounced. It was before telephones, telegraph. It might have been some form of mail, but it came by camel. So probably Martha just looked out the door and saw 13 men standing out there. Now, this is the days before refrigerators, freezers, microwaves, stoves. You know, if you're going to eat any food, you had to go out to the garden and pick it, wash it, and prepare it. Or you had to catch something that was running around in your yard and kill it and clean it. So... uh, it wasn't a uh, just easy thing to throw a couple of pizzas in the oven here. It's a pretty big commitment on her part, and I, I kind of understand the stress that she's feeling. Uh, I, I would uh, be—it was a lot more insensitive as, as newly married. Uh, I would invite people over all the time, but after watching my wife struggle when I do invite people over, uh, now I ask permission first, uh, and maybe that's where Lazarus' name was left out of this thing. Uh, Lazarus might have said, yeah, come on over, you know, (laughs) I don't know, I don't know what happened, but Martha's in the thick of it right now. You've all been in that situation where something has happened that just overwhelmed you, and Martha is there today. We all have those times, so what, what she's going through, we all go through from time to time. We are timeline-wise timeline in the middle of Jesus' ministry, uh, we're, what they call the year of acceptance. Next year will be called the year of opposition. But the truth is, when we get to the next chapter, actually halfway through the next chapter, the opposition from the religious leadership is going to be beginning. And it's going to be at this point where Jesus changes his teaching style. And he will move from publicly preaching openly to publicly preaching in parables so only those who are in the know can understand what he's saying and the rest are kind of left out in the dark, you know. So this chapter, uh, this chapter and the next chapter are the equivalent of, if you're familiar with Matthew, it's the equivalent of Matthew 12 and 13. Uh, so let's go on to the next verse. And she had a sister called Mary and, you know, because she accepted them And because uh, we don't know, the commentators are assuming that Mary is younger than Martha. It's just a guess, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. Now, commentators do think that Mary held up her part of the bargain for most of the dinner, that she went out and helped prepare, that she you know, harvested the vegetables, helped get whatever food they were going to have, perhaps went to the market to get some meat. We don't know. Uh, But then when Jesus came in and sat down in the living room, if they had living rooms, which they probably didn't, but sat down in the living room and all the men gathered around, Mary, according to A.T. Robertson, the word indicates, sat down right at his feet. Just sat down right at his feet. So while she helped through, we don't know what percentage of the meal preparation she, when Jesus started teaching, she sat down. You know, everyone was captivated with his words because no one had ever taught in Israel like Jesus taught. And people that heard him were just captivated with it. And you can't blame Mary at all for it. And you really can't blame Martha for being all stressed out. I mean, between the two of them, you you can't take sides in it. A.T. Robertson indicates that the word would, would say that she was sitting directly in front of Jesus. And the word implies, according to Robertson, who's a Greek scholar of the last century, indicates it was a favorite spot, and probably a spot that Mary and Martha often sat in, almost like reserved for them. And now Mary's sitting down, and Martha's thinking, i got 13 men out there that need to eat. They've just walked how far? Capernaum to Bethany, 85 miles. 85 miles. It's a four... They have that path today that you can actually visit Israel and make that walk, and they do it in four days. Jesus probably did it in three, but normally if you take that walk, there's places for you to stay and places to eat, and you can make that same walk in, in four days. Even now, they call it the Jesus Trail. Uh, now, you often wonder, you know, Martha comes out the worst of it in this, this story. Uh, I'll jump ahead here. She was cumbered. She comes out a little short on the story, but you often wonder, is there anything else she could do? If she'd committed to feeding these guys and these guys were already in her house, what what should she have done? And I don't know what the answer is. Mary decided what she was going to do. Phooey with dinner. Let them eat raw vegetables. I don't care. I'm going to listen to Jesus. We can finish the meal afterwards. I don't know. She had food on the stove, a hungry crab to feed. It wouldn't be hospitable. It certainly wouldn't be Jewish-wise proper for her to just stop cooking. And yet it was too much for one person to do. What would you do in that situation? You know, I've got to get this job done, and yet this other thing is pressing at me. What do you choose to do? My responsibility or what I want to do? We're often caught between what needs to be done and what we should do. And it often detracts us and makes our lives very difficult. And that's the trap that Martha is in right now. How often it seems at work or school or meetings. Or sometimes friends get in the way of what we know we should be doing. Which usually revolves around family or church. And it's easy to get sidetracked into the ought. It's amazing how the ought can steal what's really good from us. And I make no commentary against Martha. Uh, I think she did what she was supposed to do. But I also know that Mary did what she was supposed to do. It says Martha was cumbered about much serving and came to him. This is really the only place she makes a mistake. And she said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister had left me to serve alone? Bid her, therefore, that she help me. Um, A.T. Roberts says the word uh, I'm, I'm, I'm studying it to see if I can pronounce it correctly is perispato and every time I look at that word I see perspiration I don't know if it has any relationship to the root of our English word perspiration but every time I read that word perispato I think of perspiration, she was perspiring The word literally means to draw around. It means to pull your face away from where you want to look, to draw around. And A.T. writes, one has sometimes seen people whose faces are literally drawn round with anxiety, a permanent twist, distracted in mind and looks. (laughs) I can see Martha's face as I just close my eyes and imagine the stress that she's under right now. I can see an aunt of mine that would stress out over these kind of things. I don't ever remember my mother getting upset about this kind of thing, but I I had an aunt that sometimes would. I think it's probably correct, biblically anyway, to start a sentence or a prayer with, Lord, don't you care? Uh, the disciples did that, you know, carest thou not that we perish when the boat was sinking all around him and he was sound asleep on the back of the boat. I think it's probably a good idea to never begin a sentence that way, because we know that he does care. But I also believe that he deliberately puts us in situations where we are so overwhelmed with either fear or anxiety or concern or doubt or some form of demonic attack that we literally cry out, Lord, don't you see what's going on here? Don't you care? Can't you help me in this situation? And I know for one, I've tried that prayer out myself more than once. And it's not a good thing to have to do. But I do believe he puts us there so that he can answer that question. Yes, I do care. And I think he waits till the last possible minute until you're ready to scream in order to stretch our faith. And I think the more you resist screaming out, the more you hold on, the better off you are, if you determine I'm going to do my best to trust Jesus. Still I feel her pain. I don't know what she should have done. Should she have put the half cooked dinner on the table? Should she have waited till after he was done teaching? I, I don't know what the answer to this dilemma she found herself in. Uh, a dinner prepare, a house full of guests, a little sister sitting there with the guests, not helping them dinner table. I would have probably said the same thing. Lord, please get my lazy sister off her butt out here helping me in the kitchen. I need some help out here. Uh, I'd have probably said the same thing. and He'd probably responded to me the same way. And Jesus answered and said to him, "Oh Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things. Careful and cumbered. One word, careful, expresses inward worrying or anxiety, and the other word, uh, troubled, uh means the outward bustle of those preparations she was attempting to do. So it's the inward anxiety and the outward stress. You are troubled with many things, and the word means much service. Now, it's possible that the many things in that word, many things, in the Greek is a hint that she was trying to put on too fancy of a dinner. I don't know that. Uh, But Robertson tends to think it's possible that she was actually trying to do too much. I don't know about you, and I don't know what I would truly do in this situation, but if the Lord of glory who created heaven and earth was sitting in my living room and teaching, I really hope I wouldn't be out at the grill in the backyard barbecuing. I really hope I would have turned off the grill, set the meat back in the refrigerator, and said, we'll eat later. Real food is being served in the living room, and I'm going to go sit there and enjoy it. I really hope that would be my choice. That my priorities would be so lined up that what's going on in church or in my family was more important than what's going on at work or in my hobbies or my games. You know, there's only one thing needful, Jesus said. That Mary has chosen that good part which shall not be taken away from her, and it's a profound statement. I love this response. He showed love and understanding for Martha, and he shows love and understanding for Mary. And it really, you know, someone has commented, you really need both in your church. You need Martha's and you need Mary's. You can't get along without one or the other. And one's not wrong and the other one's not wrong. You can't say one's wrong and the other's right. It's not true. But I love this response because it speaks volume, volumes about our priorities. What matters in our lives? And barbecue is second to the words of Christ. It speaks volumes about what matters to us. How often things that are less important steal time from the things that really matter. And it's funny, a lot of people, they say that when they're, when they're dying and they're on their deathbed, they look back to what they wasted their time on. And I remember Sandy's mom saying to me, i wasted my whole life being selfish. And she said, I'm really sorry about that. I should have paid more attention to other people. She was a new Christian at an older age and she'd come to realize how much of her life she'd wasted about herself when self is not what matters. When Jesus is sitting and teaching in our home, order a pizza. Don't worry about the filet mignon. Sit down and listen to what he has to say. Nobody's going to die of starvation if they have to wait. You know, I, I think about this passage, and I think that it's kind of groundbreaking. As you look at it, one thing is needful, and needful, and Mary hath chosen that good part, which well, shall not be taken away from her. I know if you think about that, you know, little Jewish girls didn't go to school. Only little Jewish boys went to Hebrew school. Little Jewish girls stayed home and learned how to cook, and it's been often said that, you know, Christians like their women barefoot and pregnant and in the kitchen. You know, it's not true. Not Christian men. It's true, possibly, that some rednecks feel that way. It's true, possibly, that there's places in the world where women are put down and relegated those two obligations, cooking and bearing children. It's true, it's possible, but not Christians. Not Christians. Jesus was absolutely, remarkably ahead of his time. (laughs) The creator God of the universe ahead of his time. Uh, It's not true. True followers of Christ, and I know it's not true because it's not true for Jesus Christ. Mary hath chosen that good part, and I'm not going to take it away from her. She knows what's important, and I'm going to let her enjoy it. We are not going to do anything about it. Now, I don't know if you think about that. This creates a cultural shift on a level that you don't really understand until you contemplate it for a little while. We must not read this passage without seeing a Teutonic cultural shift happening in the church when jesus spoke those words this is a woman sitting at the feet of jesus learning along with men in a.d. 30 think about that never happens before think of jesus talking to women on the street no strict jew would ever speak to a woman publicly period jesus not only did that regularly he spoke to gentile women and even healed a gentile woman's daughter he also spoke to a Samaritan, which in the Jewish mind is even worse than a Gentile, if you can imagine that, and uh, led her to the Lord. But not only did he lead her to salvation, he confessed to her that he was the Messiah. He didn't even do that to other Jewish men, but he did that to this woman. If if you can think about what's happening here in the church and you read what Jesus did in this thing, you begin to realize there's some tremendous movements going on here, culturally that, you know, those guys sitting in that living room were probably thinking, yeah, kick her out. I want my hamburger done right, you know. But uh, Jesus had something else to say about that. Here Jesus is defending the inclusion of Mary, a woman, in his discipleship class with his disciples. This is no small event. She hath chosen that good portion. Now, A.T. Robinson links that more to a menu than to salvation, you know, A.T. Robertson and Jameson Fawcett Brown both feel that both these women were saved. They just approach their faith differently. One very practically, one very spiritually. That good portion, A.T. Robertson says, is the spiritual application of the metaphor of the dishes on the table. There are two different dishes there. See, Mary's chosen the good portion. Both were true-hearted disciples, Jameson Fawcett Brown, right? But one was absorbed in the higher... The other in the lower of two ways, two ways, both ways that honor the Lord. Yet neither is despised, neither woman, or would willingly neglect the other's occupation. They both felt that what they were both doing was important. The one represents the contemplative, the other the active style of the Christian character. A church full of Mary's would perhaps be as great an evil as a church full of Martha's. You got to have both. Both are needed each to the complement of the other. Now, as I think about this inclusion of women in this Bible study, I think we should not be surprised. We go back to Peter's speech where he's actually quoting Joel, uh, Joel chapter 2, verses 28 and 29, and it shall come to pass in the last days. We are in the last days. In fact, I think we're in the last days of the last days. And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh flesh, And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Wait, your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaidens, I will pour out in those days of my spirit and they shall prophesy. Why would we be surprised if the Lord of the universe wanted to include Mary in this Bible study? We shouldn't. Now, Paul, writing about the difference between men and women in the church, says these words, Wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. In other words, the Ten Commandments was written to show us our sin and to train us in how badly we failed. So it actually was our schoolmaster. And the more we recognize our own failure, the closer we are drawn to the Lord Jesus Christ that we might be justified by faith, because we can't keep the law. We just can't do the law. The best way to prove that is to try to do it. Pick out four or five that you're planning on keeping for the next month and give it a try. But once faith has come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster, Paul writes, for you are all children of God by faith in Jesus Christ. For as many of you has been baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. So the boundary between the Gentile and the Jew has been, uh, been dissolved in Christianity. So there's no more barbarians. There's no more bond. There's no more free. There's neither male nor female. We are one in Christ Jesus. We are all the same. We are to treat each other all the same. And if you be Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. This is what Paul writes about the, about what he's learning about the Lord Jesus Christ and His training, and I'm sure this event at Mary and Martha's house played into that. I'm sure He began to see that as Jesus sat down and talked with Gentiles, as Jesus sat down and talked with uh, women, as Jesus sat down and talked with slaves, they realized very quickly that He saw them all on the same level. There was no division between them. Now, what is the message? You know, the message is, am I too busy for Jesus? And I think it's a real question to be asked. I don't know uh, when how many of you were here when we went through the chapters 2 and chapter 3 of the book of the Revelation. But uh, there's letters that actually, gospel letters that Jesus wrote, had written, dictated to John for the churches. And the first one is a warning to people that are too busy for Jesus. Under the angel of the church of Ephesus write these things, saith he, that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand. And we're told in that that the seven stars are the seven messengers of the churches who walketh them in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. This is a vision that John had in Revelation chapter 1, which we are told, in fact, chapter 1 is really setting the definitions for a lot of the rest of the book. And the seven golden candlesticks, we are told, represent the seven churches that these letters are written to, which I believe are representatives of all churches of all times. And not only do they represent seven specific divisions of church history, in my mind, and that's the way I teach it, that Ephesus is first and uh, Laodicea is last, Uh, so I believe we're in the Laodicean age of these seven churches. Still, I do believe that elements of this same church, of all seven of these churches, represent themselves in every church. So there's elements of Ephesus, and Smyrna, and Pergamos, in all of us. And we have to be aware of those tendencies. We have to be aware of those problems. But in this particular case, Revelation chapter 2 and verse 1, I'm specifically talking about one who has lost his first love. Now, I want you to see the cause of the loss. There's nothing here about fishing, or hunting, or sailing, God forbid. But unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know your works. Now look what their works are. Your labor and your patience, and how you cannot spare them which are evil, and, hast, and thou hast tried them which say they are apostles, and are not, and hast found them liars. Now you know Paul warned the Ephesian elders back in Acts to be wary of this. And they took it seriously. They were concerned. And they, 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 they took his word literally. And they became careful to test And make sure and guard the purity of their doctrine. And watch out and protect their church. They did exactly what they were told to do. But in the process of being so busy protecting the church. They forgot the Christ of the church. And has borne and has patience. And for my name's sake has labored and has not fainted. This is a working church. These people are active and committed. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee. Because thou hast left thy first love. They got so busy. Are you too busy for Jesus? If you are, you're too busy. If dinner is taking so long that you don't have time to listen, put dinner off. If your work is taking you away too much of the time, cut back. If your family is hurting, take time for your family. That's the point. And this little threat here remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen and repent. These, these people aren't outside the bounds of repentance. They're not outside the bounds of salvation. They just got too busy and their heart for Jesus grew cold. Are you too busy for Jesus? Repent and do the first works. What's the first work? Get back with Jesus and fall back in love. The thing that started you, go back to the beginning when you were first saved. Go back to that time when Christ changed you completely. And remember those days where you were so in love with Jesus that other things didn't matter. Are you too busy for Christ? That's the message today. And there's a threat here, see. Or else I will come unto thee quickly and I will remove thy candlestick out of this place, except you repent. The point is, we can get so busy doing good things that Christ is no longer part of the church. And once Christ is no longer part of the church, we will lose our testimony. The candlestick represents the light that we share with the world. And if we lose our candlestick, we lose our testimony. And I believe there are a lot of churches out there that just got so busy, there was no time for Christ. My prayer is that it won't happen to us. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for this time. Thank you for this opportunity to gather around your word and for this reminder that we must, in fact, guard our love for the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.